0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jonas Z, Alan B, Ken X, and Mike P. Back on the program today is Mr. Bill Sheriff. Bill is the executive chairman of Encore Energy, a leading United States ISR uranium-focused development company with various stage development assets. With its Rosita facilities in Texas, the Dewey Burdock Project in South Dakota, and the Gas Hills Uranium Project in Wyoming, among a notable portfolio of other uranium assets in the U.S. Encore Energy is a uranium portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. Encore Energy is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EU and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol ENCUF. Mr. Sheriff, great to have you back on the program.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Good to be back.
0: Now, Bill, I understand you are on site visits in Texas. How are things going and what are you seeing out there that you can share with the audience?
1: Well, lots of progress. Of course, uh, you know, the drilling continues. We've uh, got three rigs turning, uh, put out a press release. So probably three or four weeks ago now, maybe maybe five. It's been a bit of a blur, but with drill results, uh, we subsequently have moved to a, a new area delineating another uh, uh, slightly better Project than we were on, but well field installation is going along. Uh, monitoring wells are already got a half a dozen of those in place, cased, uh, pressurized. So uh, it's moving along quickly, and uh, lots of changes. Uh, you know, we had a, a group tour out there uh, probably two or three months ago now, but uh, going back uh, just just in that short period of time, the the plant is almost complete on refurbishment, uh, brand new pumps everywhere. Uh, so you know, you can see a lot of change. Uh, in, in what's been happening and you know the the market notwithstanding it's been uh, hard to hard to imagine it being much uglier over the course of the last couple of weeks uh but uh or, or month uh, and i'm not expecting a whole lot different for the dow and the broad market i think those are probably in trouble on the longer stage but uh, the uranium i think we're looking for a bottom and uh i think you know if you look at the uranium price itself there's certainly nothing wrong with that it's it's uh, not taken near the near the damage uh uh, of uh, you know the equities, and in fact most of that uh, uranium sell-off was a one-day event due to uh, a shipping issue developing in the, the port of St. Petersburg, which of course is uh, uh, you know a war-related uh, anomaly. Turns out one shipper couldn't get uh, insurance, so had to make a, a deal literally on the docks of uh, St. Petersburg. So uh, obviously it was a was a buyer's market at that point, but it certainly dented the uh, you know the overall price.
0: I was going to ask you I just uh, your thoughts, just a little bit more on the broad markets here. And where do you see the deleveraging stopping with respect to uranium? Do you see a disconnect happening sometime this year? What's your thoughts on, on how the broad markets go versus commodities, uranium, et cetera?
1: I do. I think, um, you know, the broad markets, uh, I see the economy going into a slowdown. I don't think there's much to argue about that. I think that's coming. Um, you know, in terms of the broad markets, I, I think the Dow will see 27,000 this year. Um, I know not what most people want to hear, but uh, nonetheless, there's some good technical arguments for it. Things changed starting in January. No longer was it buy a dip market, which we've seen for the last decade. It's been a sell the rally market. Um, but I think the real impact on the uranium stocks has been the fear factor and the many liquidity crisis that the market's caused on its decline. It's been such a precipitous sell-off in the broad market that. Uh, you know, people get margin calls, people, people need cash, and they look around and uh, they don't usually sell their losers, they usually sell their winners, which is uh, the exact opposite of what you probably should do. And so uranium seen a lot of liquidation, there are a lot of people we can't remember our astronomical rise, you know, over the last 24 months, uh, not not just ours but the whole sectors. And uh, so it was a, a good source of cash for people, you know, I think they've taken that. Um, I do think the market's going to slow down. And it's, um, speed and that's that's the key is because the market can decline in an orderly manner and not create fear and not create these liquidity crises and so it's been pretty choppy the last uh well this entire week frankly and i think it's looking for a tradable bottom uh, a meaningful tradable bottom and i think that is um that's really key to the, to the stability of the market once we've stabilized i think you'll see uranium bounce back pretty quickly Nothing goes straight up, including the uranium equities. and you know this is a great entry spot for those that missed because of its quick departure heading up. You know I think we'll have uh, an orderly uh, move back higher. And during that process, it'll probably uh, separate some of the wheat from the chaff in terms of uh, those with more immediate uh, production potential and profiles.
0: Right. I like to see the spirits get dampened. I, I do like that. I think it provides opportunistic, uh, situations out there for folks. And uh, it also buys time, which uh, some of this, some of certain initiatives need, as you well know. And so uh, I, I do like the conditions here in the market, uh, specifically for uranium. And of course, things are lining up to be incredibly good over the next few years. I want to just talk briefly about uh, long-term impacts from the Ukraine-Russia war and your opinion on how sticky these impacts are on the fuel cycle.
1: I think they're going to be quite sticky. In fact, you know, we've noted of late uh, a significant shift in that, you know, we were we were contacting fuel buyers, nuclear utilities, our in, end user, ultimate customer, uh, over the course of the last year. Uh, but in the course of the last uh, couple of months, that's changed uh, pretty dramatically in that now we're receiving quite a few inbound inquiries and, you know, certainly more than one or two uh, plant visits, you know, basically inspect and see if we're uh, going to be able to meet long-term contracts. We have already got three established. Um, I think ourselves and Cameco, according to UXC, are the only two North Americans with established contracts. That may have changed. That's a dated publication probably about a month ago. But uh, I can see the utilities wanting to make sure, you know, yeah, they don't want to buy Russian uranium. Uh, Whether there's an official ban coming or not, we'll see. Uh, But there's a practical interruption, if not outright ban, uh, just in terms of it's very difficult to find uh, anybody that's going to ship uranium uh, from Russia right now. Uh, The utilities are uh, clearly concerned about uh, safety of supply. Fortunately, the utilities uh, from the power uh, supply position, they they contract out several years. So, you know, it's not, if Russia were to get cut off tomorrow, it doesn't mean they run out of uranium tomorrow afternoon. You know, but it's certainly something they're aware of and, you know, looking for uh, fueling in 2024 and beyond. And uh, so I think, you know, even if peace were to break out overnight, which seems highly unlikely, um, I think you'd see a lasting uh, stigma on bringing in Russian uranium, and for that matter, Kazakh uranium is, um, you know, under a pretty big stain as well. Um, you know, they, I wouldn't call them a the satellite state of Russia, but certainly when they have problems, that's who they call. You know, during the uh, recent coup attempt there or, or civil uprising, whatever you want to call it, you know, they called the Russian troops in to uh, keep the peace. So that, that shows a pretty close alignment, uh, and there's always been a, a close alignment there. So. Uh, Not to mention the Kazakh uranium for the Western world goes through the port of St. Petersburg. And uh, so you just have some issues there and I think they're going to stick around. Uh, Not to say we'll never use any Russian or Kazakh uranium, I I think that's not the case. But there's certainly going to be a move towards uh, lessening of reliance upon it. And uh, it's going to be a profound move and it certainly favors U.S. domestic uh, producers.
0: Spot on. Fully agreed on that, and we'll see what happens here. But certainly, it's going to be a five-year-plus process, and the damage has already been done. Certainly, uh, Kazakhstan is the ultimate beneficiary of the uh, the Russian influence there. But uh, let's talk a little bit about a number of inquiries on this. Actually, Bill, uh, investors are wanting to hear more on the NASDAQ listing and when that will occur. Any updates on this? The
1: well, only thing I can tell you is we've been fully um... – uh, vetted in terms of f- filling out our applications and being accepted. The one thing we don't meet yet is the minimum price threshold, and that's three dollars U.S. We've always said there'd be a rollback or share consolidation to achieve that, but it's just a function of you know after after being uh, you know 50% of the stock price being removed over the last month, basically like everyone else in in the uranium industry, uh, some far worse than that. Uh, you know, it's just not a good time to do, do a rollback. It, we would end up having, uh, you know, a number of shares out there that would be uh, not really uh, provide the liquidity that you're going to need on, on a big board. So uh, we'll wait for a bit of a rebound in the price and then do it. We literally can do it, um, you know, I won't say in an instant, but certainly within a matter of a couple of weeks once we pull the trigger. And uh, right now it's uh, strictly market oriented. We were on the verge of doing it right before this uh, latest cascade event of, of selling. And uh, so once that's passed, we'll, we'll get back in there. You know, it's, it's obviously an objective for increases liquidity, uh, provides us uh, access to an awful lot of capital sources and doors. Not that we need any right now, but uh, it gets us in front of a lot of the right people that we would not get in front of otherwise with, uh, you know, just the Vancouver listing. But, um, you know, having raised the money to get to production here during our last raise, you know, we've got a distinct advantage during this time of turmoil and, uh, you know, market instability and that every morning we wake up and go to work, working on the business plan. You know, it's a uh, set uh, plan in terms of uh, getting into production and, uh, got the capacity to do it in terms of personnel, uh, projects, licenses, and, uh, more, most importantly is the capital in the bank to do that. So, you know, we received a bit of criticism at the time for taking $30 million as being maybe more than we needed at the time. Why not raise a bit more later at a higher price and to, to that, you know, you, 2020 hindsight is pretty clear, but right now, you know, it looks like it was a really great thing to do. And uh, in my view, when they offer you money to get to production, it it just makes sense to take it because you don't know what's coming in the future. None of us could have predicted these, uh, uh, you know, turmoil in the world and in the market six months ago, or even three months ago, a very good feeling to be funded through to production where we can just put our heads down and, and continue our work and get that done on
0: time and on budget talk about that for a moment where you guys are on the cast position and then i guess transition that right into rosita next plans maybe give us a little bit of a timeline
1: yeah well we've got uh, roughly 25 million in the bank ordered a you know one of the biggest capex items we have for the wellfield is pvc piping for instance and uh, it's uh, one of the things that's kind of scarce in the supply chain but we were able to source uh, through some uh, uh, variety of connections in south texas uh, enough to do uh, more than we need on our first well field, And uh, that's on site. Uh, virtually everything we need is on site. Uh, most of the procurement has happened. Obviously there'll be uh, additional expenses in terms of time and salary and, and getting from here to there, but the plants on, still are scheduled to be completed during the second quarter. The, then we'll start putting it through its tests and, and uh, the commissioning process, you know, 30 to 60 day commissioning process. And then, um, it will be all set for production early uh, next year, and uh, as I say, the well field uh, on a separate track uh, but similar timeline, parallel, uh, is uh, you know undergoing uh, final stages of delineation, drilling, and in- installing the well field.
0: Very well, I appreciate that, Bill. You know, talk about the upside there with the projects and the feed coming into Rosita and your guys' yeah. holding in the state of Texas, and then also do you see Kingsville Dome and some of the equipment there, passive expansion at Rosita? Are all these also on the playbook
1: they are and you know our team has been recently strengthened or you know bench support with peter Luthiger coming in as our coo years of you know, decades of experience running isr uh, most notably at alta mesa in, uh, in texas worked with paul a number of years and uh, you know so it gives us enough capacity to run down several tracks at once um, you know one of the things we'll be doing late this year is looking at an optimization study between whether we increase rosita's capacity Keep in mind that uh, ISR plant was built uh, with an anticipation of uh, 2 million pounds a year. And the current run rate, uh, which is limited only by the equipment there, is uh, 800,000 pounds a year capacity design. Uh, and Kingsville was the same. In fact, Kingsville had a 2 million pound capacity until uh, their uh, 1.2 million pound capacity dryer uh, ran through the end of its life cycle and has not been replaced. So we've got a number of options. Um, You know, would would we go out and uh, bring in a 1.2 million pound dryer at uh, uh, Rosita and install it? Uh, Certainly the foundation's still there, uh, a bit of piping and plumbing, and and we'd be all set. Uh, Most importantly, we don't need, and obviously there'd be some CapEx. Uh, You know, we look at four or five million dollars to increase uh, the the capacity. Um, But the parts are there. Uh, We could do that. Um, Certainly we have a staff there that can do most of the installation work. Uh, or do we look at uh, revamping the Kingsville plant, much as we've done Rosita over the course of the last year, and uh, and have a second facility, and it's really going to be a cost-benefits trade-off. Um, you know, I think ultimately, if you look down the road two or three years, both will have happened, uh, both increasing uh, Kingsville and or sorry, increasing increasing Rosita and uh, uh, restarting uh, Kingsville. But uh, you know, it's it's a little hard to predict with specificity how far you know in two or three years out, but. Think you'll see that coming along, and a lot of that's due to uh, our new projects that we've been picking up. Uh, unfortunately, um, uh, for uh, I guess the investors, can't be completely transparent in terms of what projects we've picked up in Texas, uh, other than uh, generically the Upper Sand Creek project, for instance, uh, that we talk about, uh, until we get every last piece of property. And it's not like Wyoming or Utah, where you can go out and pick up the entire project that you want. for you know, in one or two days or one or two weeks, um, you know, get broad chunks of land. And that is because all the land in Texas is private. And it's, you know, a lot of the land records go back to the Spanish Empire. So, uh, you know, and and through the time Mexico owned uh, Texas and through the Texas independent, uh, when it was an independent country from 1836 to 1845. And many of these ranches have been, uh, you know, split each time the generation moves on. And so we've got some instances with, you know, several hundred people on title on a single block of property. And it's a, it's a cumbersome uh, project, but one that's certainly well worth it to, you know, find everybody, get them to sign onto the leases and move forward. Now that's an extreme case. More often it's five or six or, you know, seven. But nonetheless, it just points out you've got smaller tracts of land with multiple owners. And, you know, the big plus is it's worth it because it's private land and a whole lot easier to work on and obviously mineralized uh, in most instances. Um, but we're moving ahead very quickly. We expect uh, to be able to say uh, more concrete things and actually start drilling on on uh, that, at least the first of those projects here in the not too distant future. And certainly before the end of the year. And uh, at the same time, it's not uh, what we need for our initial feed or our initial production or our initial contract that we'll have to honor in 23. So that'll all come from Rosita when we announced our last drilling at Rosita or the first of our drilling at Rosita, we announced discovery of uh, eight, possibly as many as 12 additional mineralized units down uh, uh, beneath the area of the, of the plant in the licensed area and within the aquifer exemption area, which is key. Uh, even in Texas, you have to get aquifer exemptions, which is a federal permit. And uh, it's the only thing you have to deal with with the feds, but it's still something, a bit of a bottleneck. and. Uh, you know, some of these projects we're working on are, are, are well advanced through that project, or through that process rather, and so it'll it'll add to a very nice uh, sequence of, of additions to the uh, hub and spoke or uh, satellite plants, that, if you will. And we've got the capex for the satellite plants to uh, actually say we don't need capex for them. We actually own the, the materials to build them uh, in house, and uh, the mills were designed for that satellite process. So it's uh, here again, a a step ahead on all of these things. Will they take additional capital? Sure, Uh, but most of the work we can do uh, ourselves, which is a big key. Having an experienced staff of 20 some people on the ground is just a, you know, sounds like something that, well, of course you would, but in uranium, no, of course you wouldn't. Uh, There's just not, not too many guys around that have been doing it very long.
0: Great progress, looking forward to seeing more well done by Paul in uh, stripping off Peter and bringing him on board. That's great. I like satellite analogy with these. Let's avoid hub and spoke because, as you know, that's been worn out by others. <laughs> it is. In fact, um, I
1: hear someone's trying to patent the word now, which is which is kind of funny since it's been around for I don't know several decades in the rest of the mining world. But uh, in in any event, it's uh, you know it's a sound concept when you've got a license plant and uh, whatever yep. you want to call it, uh, you know, loading your resin. And you still have a plant at the, uh, at the remote location, if you will, and, yep. you know, you've got to still load your resins, and then you truck them to the central processing plant. But what it does avoid is having to build multiple central processing plants, and then that is your long, uh, you know, that's your, your bottleneck in terms of permitting. It's key, uh, key to have multiple deposits that can feed a single plant.
0: Give us a brief update on Dewey Burdock's status and also any work ongoing at Gas Hills.
1: Well, we're, we're just starting. to take those out of order. Uh, Gas Hills. Uh, when we first got him, we said it'd be a bit of a horse race. Uh, even though Gas Hills had just, you know, hadn't even started permitting, but Dewey Burdock was well into the permitting, and it is turning into a real horse race. Um, just because, uh, you know, the federal government's not particularly uh, cooperative at this point in, in terms of moving things forward. You know, they're very pro-nuclear and very pro-development uh, uh, in terms of what's spoken, but in terms of what actually is is happening, uh, it, it couldn't be much uh, much more of opposed to, to that. And uh, so, uh, Dewey Burdock is is one thing, but Gas Hills we've started the permitting process. Uh, being Wyoming will make it a lot easier. Uh, it is an agreement state. Uh, it's still a you know a year or two, uh, probably two-year process. Uh, maybe more and there's obviously uncertainty in that timeline but we're moving forward on it have already started that Um, south dakota we're waiting on uh, one of the circuit courts to uh, deal with an appeal to uh, the nrc uh, consultation and licensing that was in place Uh, we are optimistic that we'll see the correct answer and then we'll uh, continue at the state level but the state doesn't really want to uh, move it forward until they see what the feds are going to say. And that's uh, largely because of uh, their experience with the uh, the XL pipeline that uh, the state had spent a great deal of time on uh, looked like a certainty. And then the feds pulled the permit on it. So, yeah, we do expect political change. Uh, That seems to be pretty clear. It's uh, one of those things that you'd like to see happen a little sooner than it is. You know, I think both of those will be fine. It, it has uh, increased our interest in Texas, and you know, very timely in terms of finding multiple horizons under the plant to to find additional pounds. In terms of picking up additional projects in the state, um, you know, I won't say it's uh, refocused us, but it's certainly made us aware of taking advantage of those things. You know, we may be able to uh, get up to. Uh, one and a half to two times what we'd originally planned in Texas over the course of the next few years as a result of of some really good opportunities that have come our way and what we're finding in our own backyard.
0: Good stuff here. I mean, certainly the federal government's uh... Been very difficult. We've seen this uh, with just delays across the board. It hasn't just been uranium projects. I mean, I would yeah. reference uh, to Florence, Arizona, ISR Copper being a continual delay. So we've seen this across the board in the natural resource sector. They're speaking out of one side of their mouth and spewing out the other end. So it's yeah. it's really something. As folks know, the company is focused on ISR projects. Does the focus remain on ISR or is there opportunistic ideals? How about opportunistic ideas and conventional? And with that, let me just couple it. I know you can't say much here, but is there any comments with respect to M&A?
1: Sure, Uh, that's one of the, uh, I guess, advantages that come out of these uh, tumultuous periods in the market is M&A opportunities. Uh, Quite frankly, everything had reached a point, uh, you know, here a few months ago that uh, there wasn't a lot on the market that was attractively priced. Are there other things that are of interest? Sure. Well. You know, Of course, now our our capital has gone down as well as everyone else's, but these things do tend to go through a series of adjustments and separate the wheat from the chaff. At the moment, are there other assets out there we'd like to have? Sure. Are there any opportunities out there right now with current pricing? No. Uh, We'll need to see some pricing differential evolve in the market. I think we will as we perform and execute on our business plan. And uh, so, you know, we keep our eye on it. We know the assets on the playing field uh, very well, or the you know the pieces on the playing board, if you will. Uh, know the people very well. Uh, we don't have any intention of straying from ISR. You know, just as example, of bringing Peter in. All of our key adjustments and people have been, uh, you know, dedicated towards building the best uh, bench in ISR. And uh, to that end, I think we've been very successful. I think, you know, if you look in North America, there's no other team that has the ISR strength that, that we do. And I'd put that up even against Cameco. And when you bring in the worldwide basis and you look at Australia and Kazakhstan, then certainly there are others that are you know, very, very deep. But uh, in, in North America, in the U.S., I don't
0: think you'll find it. OK, how about uh, just one other thing question from the audience here mm-hmm. types of uranium deposits that don't work for in situ recovery? Can you just talk about that?
1: I I can briefly, uh, basically anything that's primary, that is, it's been primarily deposited uh, and has not been remobilized. Uh, You know, sandstone uh, uranium deposits that have a lot of organic matter, the uranium is bound to that, it's not going to come out into solution very well. Um, You know, a lot of it is, you know, so the uranium has to be in the right state or oxidation state to be able to be mobilized through ISR. That's really what that boils down to. Other than that, it's uh, you know conditions. You know, uh, Denison's taking on a really bold project uh, in, in Canada, with, uh, doing ISR of a higher grade uh, ore body, but it's behind freeze wall, so the capex is huge, the technology is huge. Uh, seem to be making good progress on it. Obviously, we wish them well, but uh, you know it's it's a different game if you can turn uh, if you can actually work behind a freeze wall. There is such thing as too much water, and the Athabasca certainly is the place of where that's an issue. And a lot of the ore up there is probably not in the right oxidation state, even as rich as it is, to, to be ISO. So it takes a, a specific set of chemical and, and uh, physiographic, uh, you know, physical uh, traits. got to have permeability, porosity. Um, you need a, a reasonable depth. You've got to have water saturation. So you need your water table above where you're working at a reasonable level. So even when you pump and draw down, you don't bring the uh, water table below your ore. It's certainly feasible to go to, you know, several thousand feet, a couple thousand feet anyway with ISR, but your drilling costs are are substantial. Your pumping costs uh, may be offset by artesian factors, but you've got a lot of casing. You've got, you know, just the problems and cost go up as the depth goes up, but pretty much anything under a thousand feet is pretty routine. Hope that gives you a little better better picture of it. And, you know, we, we do take an opportunity to pick up good conventional assets when we see them for, for a basement bargain price, but that's simply to put into our non-core asset file. it uh, doesn't mean they are, aren't great projects, just means they aren't something we're going to work on, because we, you know, here again, our technical expertise has been
0: honed and, and directed exclusively to ISR. Let me tie this in real quick with an update on Group 11.
1: Sure. Uh, Group 11, uh, we've been making progress, uh, as you know, on our last test of actually getting increased gold uh, recovery out of uh, uncrushed core, which uh, was actually amazing to everyone involved with the project, how well uh, the recovery came. So we're in the process now of permitting uh, several large diameter core holes. And by large diameter, we're talking S core or, or perhaps even up to six inch core. Uh, that uh, will be, uh, we found the contractor, as I say, permitting's underway in Wyoming. We expect to drill those before the end of the year. Uh, certainly, hopefully uh, during the third quarter because uh, it tends to get somewhat inhospitable on that mountain in uh, November and December. So we'd certainly like to be wrapping up by, uh, by the end of October. Um, so, uh, you know, notwithstanding, we don't have the permits in hand, everything looks good that we'll have them in time. Uh, Wyoming is pretty straightforward in terms of permitting uh, drilling. So uh, that's where we are on that. And once we get those cores, of course, then we'll perform whole core tests on large diameter materials such as uh, horizontal uh, transmission rates and, and, you know, connectivity and obviously permeability, porosity, structural content of of the rock. And uh, then after that, assuming we uh, get continued optimism, then we'll be looking to uh, do uh, some sort of five spot test uh, in the following year involving an aquifer we need a federal aquifer exemption to put anything into the ground so we'll uh, we'll be looking at that and there may be some exceptions if it's a shallow enough well and above an aquifer so may not may not involve that yet but that, here again that's putting the cart before the horse let's see what we get out of these next uh, core holes first but it's certainly very promising at this point
0: appreciate that update and always a pleasure to work with the federal government as you uh, know <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's leave it there. We're short on time, Bill. Uh, last question here for potential investors tuning in. Market cap of Encore stands at about 381 million Canadian dollars. What would you say to them about considering the company at this stage and at this point in the market?
1: I think I'll go back to my opening remark. You know, it's for this onslaught or deluge of selling that we've seen over the last month is, is really uh, oh, arguably been a, a much needed correction. Um, it was a little overdone on the top side. I think arguably it's a little overdone on the downside now. Uh, but the markets are rarely uh, in equilibrium, except when the pendulum crosses from oversold to overbought for brief moments. And I think it's providing an excellent opportunity, uh, one that we haven't seen for a year uh, for people that didn't get in the first wave to jump in, for those that are already in to uh, refortify their position and add to them. Uh, so it's been a you know, a, a very good opportunity for them. And in what had been a, a bit of a runaway market that did not afford a lot of buying opportunities after it took off you know the, the universe of uranium stocks is so small that once the money starts uh, the train takes off from pretty quick and
0: it's hard to catch it and the best way for investors to reach out to the company uh, through uh, info at
1: encore uh, once again that's info at encore uranium.com. Uh, one of us uh, will be, uh, you know, pretty quick to respond and uh, can even uh, speak with management or, uh, you know, given some notice to set things up. So we're, we're certainly easy to get a hold of and uh, treat all of our investors or potential investors equally and glad to uh, entertain questions, observations, comments, uh, what have you.
0: Bill, it's always fun to chat. We'll talk to you it soon.
1: Is. All right, Andrew, appreciate it. Have a good weekend.